and then cruise right on into gray matters for your daily or weekly for your weekly dose of uh, of radio news so keep it locked wcbn fm ann arbor Good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley and my partner Jim Dwyer is uh, fortunate. He's up north for the weekend. It's probably a little cooler up there because, yeah, Ann Arbor is uh, very hot and muggy today thanks to the weather out in the Gulf of Mexico. So this is what New Orleans feels like quite frequently. And this is certainly what the Gulf of Mexico feels like. Hot and humid. Yucky. Obviously, I'll just mention this quite briefly, but uh, throughout the week there's been a lot of Katrina coverage. Uh, I'll give a quick brain damage award out to George W. Bush. I don't quite understand why he's involved in any of these celebrations of recovery uh yes there's been recovery i think that's very important new orleans obviously will never be the same and new orleans has to exist i once read a interesting article in the new york review of books about why new orleans has to exist because it's at the mouth of the mississippi river and I thought that the coverage, while covering the human element from all sorts of different angles, some uh, somewhat uh, celebratory and some from the perspective of the world that we've lost, so to speak, um, I don't think focused quite enough on some of the environmental issues. Of course, uh, there's a famous musician named Randy Newman that wrote a song about the 1927 flood of the Mississippi River. And, of course, the historical relevance of New Orleans in American history should never be forgotten. This was the primary loading ground for the slave trade, courtesy of the Caribbean, courtesy of the imperialistic European nations that were involved in slave trading, if you go to New Orleans, and I've been there several times, in a celebratory mood, I'm down there to see the Jazz Fest, the New Orleans Blues and Heritage Jazz Fest, always held at the uh, during the last week of April, first weekend of May. WCBN FM Ann Arbor, of course, is a music station, and there is no greater shall we say, combination of genres, the sort of jambalaya of mus music that New Orleans provides live to the public and is part of our indigenous uh, American culture 
particularly in a kind of broad category called jazz. Blues, of course, has origins from all sorts of other areas. Yazoo City Calling, which uh, comes up uh, in about a half an hour, of course, celebrates uh, the blues from the Mississippi Delta, the old blues, the origin of the blues. Blues and jazz, of course, are connected. But New Orleans has other types of indigenous American music that when you see it live, it has to move your soul and your heart. Cajun music, Zydeco, Dixieland jazz band style. I don't think there's a city in the world, for instance, that celebrates the trombone as effectively as New Orleans. Uh, You see these brass bands in New Orleans that are tremendous, like the Soul Rebels. Trombone Shorty, of course, has become a uh, sort of uh, cultural American icon of uh, the United States. And, of course, Cajun music uh, is absolutely beautiful in its own right. Fiddle, it's interesting how a acoustic guitar is sort of the uh, effective uh, rhythm of the music. And, of course, Zydeco with... uh, all sorts of fascinating instruments. You see spoon players. You see guys playing the uh, accordion, that sort of thing. And it's a wonderful city to visit for tourists. And perhaps there are aspects of New Orleans that are back for tourists. Uh, Much of the coverage, of course, focused on the loss of... uh, rather large chunk of the African-American population. Many of these people have relocated uh, to cities like Houston, Baton Rouge, and Atlanta. This is very well established through census data, demographic studies, this sort of thing. And, of course, one of the relevances politically that I'll just make uh, rather quickly is that this will make Louisiana a... uh, probably a permanent red state um, because of these demographic changes. We've seen this in recent elections. Uh, Mary Landrieu, who was defeated last uh, election cycle, is from an old uh, Louisiana political dynasty, so to speak, and she was defeated. Interestingly, she was defeated in the follow-up election. Louisiana has a peculiar though not surprising state law that's common in many of the southern states, a couple of them, that calls for a uh, runoff election. You can't be seated as a senator from a number of the states down south unless you get over 50% of the vote. This is obviously designed, for instance, to prevent senatorial representation uh, of... African Americans. And of course, uh, it's interesting how the Hispanic population of New Orleans has greatly increased. But getting back to one of the main points I wanted to make about what I thought was maybe a little deficient and underrecognized in the coverage of Katrina is the environmental aspects of how and why should we rebuild parts of New Orleans that are under below sea level. 
it's quite clear that this was a natural disaster that was greatly worsened by a man-made disaster. There are controversial conspiracy theories, by the way, that the levees may have been deliberately destroyed. Uh, I've heard reports of this, uh, that there were some questionable bulldozer movements that may have affected the levees. But, of course, the levees were built in response to the famous Randy Newman song about the 1927 Great Flood of the Mississippi. The Mississippi River has ecologically been dammed up. They've built dams to prevent flooding upstream to protect certain communities because the Mississippi River obviously floods on a fairly regular basis. In fact, one of the profound explanations for why agriculture is so uh, rich in the, in the upper Midwest, in uh, Iowa and whatnot, is the fact that the Mississippi River has flooded over the millennia. Detroit, for instance, is a uh, sort of alluvial plain that allows sediment to rebuild the soil and, in fact, the wetlands. And while I don't have this article in front of me, it's fascinating to realize since that the discovery of oil, and I kind of vaguely remember this factoid, the oil companies have taken out of Texas and Louisiana about $600 billion of wealth that, of course, has been transferred to multinational corporations and their shareholders. I mentioned the multinational oil corporations because, of course, they've been in the news a lot this week in connection with the so-called stock market crash that's, that's occurred, this correction, as they say, from a technical financial perspective. It's always important to remember that the Dow Jones Industrial Average is an average of selected 30 large multinational American corporations that people have sort of arbitrarily decided that indicate the strength or weakness of the American economy. Most financial experts will tell you that you're better off paying attention to the Standard & Poor's or the so-called Russell 5000 to get a real appreciation of what is really going on in the American economy. But oil companies make up a large chunk of the Dow Jones Industrial Average. ExxonMobil has clearly been impacted by the global decline of oil, and this has been part of the rather fascinating correction that's occurred for lots of different reasons. Consumer, American consumers have benefited slightly from this, but the American oil corporations that have systematically destroyed the wetlands and the ecology of Louisiana, a state that loses, I understand, the equivalent of about two football fields every hour. Yes, the sea is rising, and the sediment from previous floods and flow of the Mississippi River is not reaching the mouth of the Mississippi River the way it used to. Vegetation has been destroyed 
because of the oil corporations drilling and poor reclamation of the land in some areas. And, of course, uh, who can forget the spill in the Gulf of Mexico several years ago involving the BP Corporation. I would suggest that the way to really save New Orleans is to come up with an ecological concept for how you uh, deal with the confluence of the fact that we have clearly relatively sound scientific evidence that there is climate change underway and that the sea is rising. And what do you do about the lower Ninth Ward? This is a area of New Orleans that's sort of east of the French Quarter. Uh, the St. Bernard Parish uh, that I've been through a number of times because several times that I actually went down to New Orleans to uh, enjoy the Blues and Jazz Festival, I stayed at the State Park in St. Bernard Parish. It's out on a kind of a bayou in one of the lower line areas. And St. Bernard Parish, actually, as I recall, had about 90% of the houses destroyed. They were part of the real surge from the hurricane. But obviously it was the flooding of the failed levees. These were built and refurbished at various times over the past uh, several decades. Uh, this was what really caused the flooding in New Orleans. But I recall one year I left New Orleans as the Jazz Fest ended. There were serious tornado thunder showers moving through the state of Texas. And uh, New Orleans area got 25 inches of rain in one day. <laughs> uh, I had a buddy that hung around for a couple of days after the Jazz Fest, and he was in the French Quarter. And we, we don't have a real great understanding of the, the water problem that New Orleans has to deal with. They rely on, rely on pumps to pump water out of the city when it rains or floods in back into the Gulf of Mexico slash Mississippi River. Because New Orleans's geography is an amazing array of canals and so-called waterways in which uh, uh, artificial land masses have been sort of created, uh, often by the Army Corps of Engineers, to deal with the excess water. And since we've decided as a nation quite some time ago that we're going to protect uh, some of the communities upstream in the Mississippi River, um, this sediment that goes down to the mouth of the Mississippi River is never going to get there. And I just don't understand how you rebuild parts of the greater New Orleans area uh, where does the soil come from? How do you get it there? Where do you, do you, you know, I don't know the answers to this, but this would cost uh, billions of dollars of infrastructure uh, rebuilding that I don't think, unfortunately, there's any political appetite in the United States of America. For gosh sakes, we can't even agree here in the state of Michigan to raise our gas taxes by a nickel to deal with fixing the roads. 
and Obama's uh, repeated efforts over the past several uh, <clears throat> years regarding budget priorities uh, regarding infrastructure have gone nowhere. Um, the uh, GOP's national uh, agenda regarding fiscal policy is uh, don't build anything, don't spend any government money on anything constructive, uh, talk about more tax cuts for the wealthy, and talk about more money and stupidity for the Pentagon. Uh, these, unfortunately, are the misplaced priorities of the United States of America that date well back to the Cold War and uh, have, unfortunately, reared and reared their ugly heads over the past uh, several decades under uh, presidents like Ronald Reagan and George Bush, George W. Bush, not the father so much. The father was a little more responsible when it came to fiscal policy. In fact, you'll recall he was pilloried uh, quite uh, vociferously. Read my lips. No new taxes. And, of course, that campaign promise was technically broken because he had to deal with the savings and loan crisis that started under Ronald Reagan Thanks to deregulation, corporate greed, and, uh, well, philosophical negligence of the most profound and uh, ongoing um, reality. Um, people in the United States are sometimes bailed out by the government for doing irresponsible things like building beach houses in hurricane areas. Uh, we may see some problems uh, with this uh, in the next couple of days connected to uh, Hurricane Erica. I haven't actually been paying attention to that one quite as closely as I should be. But then I don't live on the Atlantic Ocean. We're in the Gulf of Mexico. Here in Michigan, all I feel is the humidity from the Gulf of Me Mexico that's being pushed up. So I would suggest that the uh, some of the realities of this 10-year anniversary is more discussion about uh, what to do about New Orleans as a national priority. Obviously, it's, it's history to American, uh, its relevance in American culture is exceedingly important. Uh, the Mississippi River, of course, was uh, a dominant and critical waterway that was used to promote uh, the development of the United States in the mid-19th century, um, and of course, eloquently captured in a sort of semi-romantic perspective from the uh, interesting writings, for instance, of Mark Twain, Steamboat on the Mississippi, and the whole life and reality of the Mississippi River, uh, one of the most important waterways in the world, and one of the largest. The Mississippi River, in some spots, can be as wide as seven or eight miles. It's an enormous body of water, and it has been critical throughout American history for its uh, relevance to commerce, trading goods, moving agricultural products, and whatnot. But needless to say, as part of the... <clears throat> slave trade. It uh, moved slaves. It moved human beings 
And when you go to New Orleans, you can actually go to an area of just north of the French Quarter called the Congo Square that was the primary area primary area of the actual slave trade. New Orleans has a complex imperialistic history, which is why the food is so delicious. Of course, it was originally owned by the Spanish. They sort of uh, gave it away to the French, lost it in a variety of wars, I think, uh, as part of the wars of Spanish succession. And America acquired Louisiana and New Orleans in one of the great real estate deals in the history of human civilization called the Louisiana Purchase. Alas, Napoleon, who was a man with an ego problem, think Donald Trump here, uh, had war debts and he needed cold hard cash. Thomas Jefferson, who believed in strong government <clears throat> and the strength of Congress in his political writings, kind of went around the, the Congress on the Louisiana Purchase and said, this is a uh, real estate deal too good to pass up. I think the asking price was higher than $15 million. I seem to remember that was what we paid for it. A brilliant move for the history of America. <clears throat> and as for ecological issues, you know, we've had this kind of silly brouhaha over the last couple of days <clears throat> about Mount McKinley and Mount Denali there in Alaska. Obama apparently on a trip up that way. We heard some good news last week that California, thanks to uh, restrictions on water use and uh, <clears throat> active uh, participation of citizens and uh, government initiatives, local government initiatives, have cut their water use quite a bit. Fascinating, by the way, uh, one of the more interesting articles that I read this summer to kind of transition out of this uh, Katrina coverage I guess I'll end with a little bit of financial commentary. But we go to the uh, very interesting article that appeared on the 14th of April in the New York Times Science section. That's called the Science Section. About the mega droughts that occur in <clears throat> California over uh, the last several millennia. And this is one of those uh, very interesting emerging, uh, shall we say, science, uh, fields of science study called uh, paleoclimatology. Uh, <clears throat> scientists have been analyzing tree rings out in uh, California to ascertain these so-called mega droughts. And what's interesting about the large graph that they show, it shows that California right now is in a drier period way drier than normal, in fact, drier than the Dust Bowl, to give you an idea of uh, <clears throat> how this uh, is uh, playing out. But I became interested in sort of tree ring science uh, back when I was a kid, and I remembered uh, <clears throat> my mother, who was grew up in Nevada, Nevada, people say it both ways, 
but uh, in the Sierra Nevadas, they had um, <clears throat> these trees called bristlecone pine trees that were uh, 3,000 years old. And these were considered uh, the longest l- continuous living uh, trees on the planet. Of course, in California, they have the majestic, beautiful redwoods. Captured uh, so wonderfully by Woody Guthrie in This Land is Your Land. Should be our national anthem. Let's get rid of the Star Spangled Banner, please. Uh, So, yes, there's been some effective uh, government and citizen action in California to reduce water consumption. But the mega droughts are um, apparently we're in the middle of one out in California. Quoting uh, a researcher at Cornell University, Toby R. Alt, climate change is really weighting the dice in favor of future megadroughts. An analysis by scientists in California point out a different kind of analysis led to the discovery of two very long droughts, one that began in the 9th century and lasted 200 years, and another that began in the 13th century and lasted for a century and a half. And uh, they show this uh, graph with the tree ring analysis showing these mega droughts. And as you can see from the activity uh, starting in the uh, beginning of the Industrial Revolution, which I conveniently always date as 1800, interestingly right around the time of the Louisiana Purchase, you can see that California has sort of steadily had the emerging slope-intercept of uh, continuing uh, drier-than-average, shall we say, trends. Now, there were, of course, some wetter uh, parts uh, during the last uh, 215 years, including a very, very wet period uh, in the late 1890s. And we know and we've heard all about how California's climate changes um, are connected a little bit to the so-called weather phenomena called El Nino. And there are some climatologists that are pointing out that we're on the verge of an El Nino. This is the warming of the water in the Pacific that will affect, hopefully, for Californians, precipitation that has been going far north of California. And this warmer weather, interestingly, has actually been affecting Alaska more than any other state. If you're a longtime listener to Gray Matters, I've been pointing out for probably the last decade that Alaska is almost 10 degrees warmer per year than it used to be. That's 10 degrees Fahrenheit. This is not the debate about whether or not human uh, industrialization and global greenhouse gases are have raised temperatures, you know, one degree Celsius or not. Um, it's interesting, by the way, on the debate about Fahrenheit and Celsius that I think Fahrenheit sometimes works a little better in discussing climate change because obviously the Celsius scale... It uh, doesn't show the number quite as uh, interestingly and profoundly as uh, 
The Celsius scale, use Fahrenheit when discussing uh, climate change. But anyway, according to Malcolm Hughes, a scientist at the University of Arizona, the evidence of, for the existence of a sustained severe drought is pretty convincing. Who corroborated a Dr. Stein's work who's been using the tree ring analysis. In the 1990s, Scott Stein, a professor at what is now called California State University East Bay, took advantage of a decline in the level of Mono Lake and other lakes and streams in the eastern Sierra Nevadas to study tree stumps still rooted in the ground that had become visible after being submerged for hundreds of years. So it's fascinating that this uh, sort of combination of science work that's been going on on this very subject has actually been discovered by the fact that the water is declining in these lakes, that the water in the southwest is being gobbled up, perhaps beyond uh, human sustainability for those populations that grew in incredible numbers over the last 40 years. So it's interesting that the drying up of the lakes revealed the tree stumps that allowed the scientists to discover the mega drought. Hey, that's how science works. Sometimes there's uh, fortuitous circumstances that lead to the discoveries of various things. Okay, uh, just uh, to let you know, we are uh, listening here to Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. I'd like to definitely thank Andrew for engineering this evening. Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly. I was I didn't really want to bum everyone out with more uh, talk about another bizarre uh, t- uh, gun uh, event here in the United States, uh, this one on live television. I'm afraid that the only mass murders left for uh, America to do nothing, because nothing will happen, is perhaps a mass murder at a funeral and or perhaps a woman giving birth in a hospital. Uh, this is beyond uh, <clears throat> absurdity that, that, that this would be kind of a social media staged event with uh, <clears throat> a webcam and all that kind of crap. Um, by the way, the debate about whether or not to show something like this live, well, obviously it happened live, but to, to repeat it, um, I think is very interesting. We do, out of respect for the deceased, usually not show these things. But I think it might be time in America for this stuff to be shown late at night when children are in bed. Because then maybe people in America will wake up and see what gun violence actually looks like. It's almost become a sort of abstract concept to too many people, I'm afraid. And it's interesting that this is sort of bubbling up as a issue in the presidential campaign. Uh, unfortunately, there will probably be more of these kinds of garish uses of media to promote this kind of insanity. But we do definitely need to look at why and how people like this get guns and why they shouldn't have them. And it's interesting that Obama finally commented that more Americans have more to fear from gun violence than terrorism. Thanks to Andrew. Do stay tuned. Yazoo City Calling coming up next. <laughs> 